the VCA Voice podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marie Curl. Our goal with the VCA Voice is to showcase how VCA Animal Hospitals is taking care of the future of veterinary medicine. We'll bring our purpose to life through meaningful conversations about care, our culture, and the communities we serve. On today's episode, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Dennis Keith. Dennis is a regional medical director with VCA Animal Hospitals and is also a veterinary specialist in radiology. Welcome, Dennis. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. I really appreciate you joining today. And I'm going to jump right into some questions. First of all, I'd like for you to tell me a little bit about your career journey as a veterinarian and also as a radiologist and also your journey with VCA. So probably the best place to start for my journey in veterinary medicine is on a little ranchette in a small town. So I grew up, we had a small amount of livestock, a bunch of goats. And when I went to vet school, I thought for sure I wanted to do mixed practice. So I did that for a couple of years. And Mm -hmm. actually at that point was able to apply to the radiology residency at the University of Pennsylvania, largely based on my equine work at the time. But I fell in love with CT as a modality and did a lot of work, including The resident projects and things were all at the small animal college. Mm -hmm. At that point, I finished and I stayed on uh, faculty there for just one year when I got a call from a friend of mine back from goats (laughs) who was a veterinarian here in Phoenix and said, our radiologist is leaving and we'd really like to get you out here. So a few interviews later and voila, I end up with VCA through an acquisition in 2005 and I've been very happy at VCA ever since. Now, you were a medical director for a period of time before you became a regional medical director, right? Yes. So I was the medical director at VCA Eureka here in Mesa, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And I had a large staff of specialists. And as you know, each specialist is very different uh-huh. and each specialty is very different. And in those cases, we need to make sure that those folks have what they need to do the great work that they do. Now, tell me about your decision to transition from being a medical director in a large, excellent specialty hospital to becoming a regional medical director. What was that like? One of the main things that I loved about being at Eureka was the idea that I was helping so many people get a good start on their careers, whether they were Mm -hmm. specialists just coming out from residencies or interns. And I saw an opportunity to really do that on a much larger scale by becoming a regional medical director. So it seemed like a natural career move for me. And I get to do radiology everywhere I go, because as soon as I walk in the hospital, they say, hey, wait a minute, we got something we want to show you. Well, you are you are in a rare class of, of people who can help in that area. Based upon what I know about radiology now, your experience of going straight from practice into a residency is not like it happens now. How have things changed with the process to become a radiologist? Or, or in fact, I should be calling you a diagnostic imaging specialist. It is more than just radiographs. Sure. I do think there's been a move, and there was such an emphasis for many years on small animals. It was uncommon at the time for people to get a residency without an internship. Um, And that's how the large animal really helped me in that area. But I think in the years since, it's really been a single internship or even, as you know, two internships to then qualify for a residency. I also think the college recognized that and there is now a large animal 
subdivision within the college so that there are people focused on that. It's just such a, a different uh, strategy when imaging large animal patients. So I think it was a good division for the college. Now, when you say college in this reference, you're talking about your specialty college, uh, the American College of Veterinary Radiologists, right? That's right. As you know, again, the idea of a board-certified specialist is something that the public still has some trouble following. Basically, in our profession, there is an organization that approves smaller organizations called colleges, and those folks certify individuals such as yourself and me in areas of specialty. Mm -hmm. My particular college was named back in the days when x-rays were the primary modality. Mm -hmm. However, now much of the work is in MRI and bringing other advanced modalities to animals. In our college particularly, there's also a dearth of interest in academics. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are offering their specialty services to individuals through clients and through large hospitals like Areca or West LA, uh, which mm -hmm. are two of the bigger hospitals with VCA. But if they can find their way back to help teach veterinary students in schools, then we benefit again because we have more doctors available. At VCA, I think we've got a lot of hospitals with a great opportunity to expose interns to a wide variety of specialties. Most of our hospitals only have students on short rotations. So we really have this opening to have the interns come in and have their own unique experience at our hospitals. pivot just a little bit. A few episodes ago, we welcome Tony Lataris from VCA Canada, who's a veterinary technician specialist. And we talked quite extensively about hands-free radiology. I know that you're a champion of that topic as well. So what can you tell me from a veterinarian and a specialist perspective about hands-free radiology? Well, of course, the first thing I would tell you is it's not really hands-free radiology. It's hands-free radiography, right? So okay. for the public, radiology is reading of x-rays mm -hmm. and radiography is making of x-rays. Uh, but our particular program kind of merges the ideas, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's really a joke. It's fine to call it hands-free radiology. <laughs> I'm okay with that because I so I love that radiologists, must, radiologists are as anal retentive as internists, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's true. So I think it's really important. We taught this when I was at the University of Pennsylvania largely because of the number of veterinary students we had from states that required it. I think, frankly, hands-free is faster and easier to train than it ever has been before. And I just so strongly support VCA's efforts in this realm. For our veterinarians in practice, what is their role in being able to support the practice of hands-free radiography? One of the things I think we have to do is sort of get out of our own head, right? When we go to our own doctor, rarely does our doctor run us to another room and immediately take an x-ray. That's really something done in the emergency room in specific types of cases. Otherwise, we may even be referred to a different facility, but the x-ray is treated as a procedure in and of itself. If we mentally realize that most of our x-rays are not emergencies and we plan them for a day when we have trained staff that can do it, and we think about our workflow and we put 
x-rays on the schedule, just like we put a dental on the schedule, or just like we put a surgery on the schedule, we put x-rays on the schedule, they won't take as long. But when we do that and we restore some intentionality to thinking through the process of making x-rays, yeah, I think it's pretty easy to make time to do them hands-free. When you talk to hospitals that have really committed to this, have trained their technicians, have purchased the equipment, and have just said, this is the way we're going to do it, they're telling me that it's actually easier and faster than it was the old way. When the patients tended to struggle more, we tended to need to make more exposures. So I really think a return to the thought process and thinking through our workflow and how we can make this happen, I think that's just really important for the doctors. It's also, in my mind, going to produce better x-rays. As a radiologist, I'm most concerned about whether or not you've positioned the elbow properly or whether or not the patient was vibrating and shivering when you were trying to extend the hips because that makes things a little blurrier or whether or not they were panting or stressed when you were trying to take thoracic x-rays. So I think these things all combine to make a better image, which results in better diagnosis. And ultimately, it's what we all want to do is keep pets healthier for longer so they can stay with their owners. The other topic I really want to learn from you is the introduction of artificial intelligence in veterinary radiography and radiology. So tell me a little bit about where we are with artificial intelligence and what that even means to our listeners. So artificial intelligence is coming in several forms to my field. And I do think there's going to be some applications with uh, aiding technicians who are making x-rays and making sure that they're well positioned before they're ever turned up for a diagnosis so that we start minimizing the risk that a diagnosis is missed because a lung lobe is cut off or because we didn't include the joint at the right angle. So I think there are some applications coming, but what is currently happening is a form of triage of x-rays. So artificial intelligence will go over x-rays and give you a list usually by percentage of likelihood that it's there, a list of the abnormalities that, quote, it, I'm going to use air quotes here, sees on the x-rays. There's a number of different companies doing it. And I think one of the very interesting conversations it has brought up is who should be involved in that. Most veterinarians are not going to have the expertise to develop the high, high-level mathematics and machine learning algorithms necessary to make AI a reality. However, are data-centric people really the right people to do that, or should we have domain experts like radiologists involved in that process? I come down on the side that I do think that's one of the areas as radiologists that we need to embrace and help support because I think domain experts are going to be really important to that process. And there's sort of two approaches, right? We can resist change, or we can say, we need to get radiologists involved in this process to allow us to submit images for a triage. And if the clinician's opinion of the x-rays matches the AI findings, that may be enough for the clinician, which in my mind is going to take a lot of the relatively straightforward studies. And it's going to take those off the work list for the radiologist so that the radiologist can focus on cases where their opinion is going to matter the most. The pets that 
have something a little unusual, and we need to figure out whether that's something we need to work up. And by getting those images in front of the radiologist more quickly, it allows everybody in the entire healthcare team for that pet to have more impact. How does a computer program learn how to do that? (laughs) Wow, that's a big question. (laughs) So it's a really complex mathematical iterative process. So the image is treated as data. That data is broken into progressively smaller parts and analyzed. It's very similar to how Google recognizes golden retrievers in pictures, right? Uh, That same technology applied to an x-ray can help a veterinarian recognize whether the left atrium is enlarged. Now, is this also happening in human healthcare, or is veterinary medicine ahead of the curve in technology here? Well, the answer to your question is yes and yes. So it is happening in human healthcare. And my understanding is that some of the researchers in human healthcare were very excited because of the size of data sets that we have in veterinary medicine. We have large providers of PACS services, which is picture archiving services for veterinary Mm -hmm. hospitals. It allows a veterinarian to store their images off-site. But by having just a few providers of that, that means most veterinary x-rays are a limited number of providers, which gives us millions and millions of images to analyze. And that concentrating effect, which isn't really present in human medicine, has allowed researchers to come over and use our data to help refine those techniques. So in a lot of ways, this is a a key area that the veterinarian can contribute back to One Health. This work in AI is going to benefit people and animals seeking healthcare in the next decade. I'm really excited about it. I'm excited about it in all areas. It happens to be hitting my area as one of the early adopter modalities, if you will. Mm-hmm. But you know, the truth is, I think it's got a lot of application. And one of the things that I just absolutely think is key is they're delivering this information to the veterinarian at the time of care in time to actually have these conversations with clients and owners before the patient even leaves the hospital. The hospitals that I've had using them for the last few months, they say the results are back in three to five minutes. If we can continue to do that, especially in these other areas, it's nothing but really good improvements for the care of pets. What areas are the artificial intelligence technology ready to go and up and running now? And and what areas are they still working on and haven't quite unlocked the key yet? You know, there's several companies doing it, and most of them seem to have chest and abdomen ready to go and ready to provide some value to the veterinarians. I think in the near future, there will be more advances in orthopedics. I think there will be advances in dental x-rays. I think there are some more challenging things out in the future, like can we figure out a way to apply this to ultrasounds? Traditionally, that's been a modality that's very useful, but is also a little bit more challenging, a little bit more commitment to learn. Mm -hmm. And once you get out into practice, it's very hard to get the feedback you need to continuously improve on it. So it's been one that veterinarians kind of They go, they get some training, they come back, and it's a very slow growth curve. And if we could accelerate that by giving them some more immediate feedback through AI, 
I think that would have some great application in just growing the skills of the veterinarians. I hadn't even thought about that. It seems like ultrasound would be even more complex to develop this because you ha- you have to be exactly in the right place to get the right image of a particular organ or or body cavity that you're looking at. Absolutely. And I think that's what they have run into is, you know, how does the AI know whether you just didn't have the precise angle that you needed Uh or how does the AI know that, no, this is the best you can make the kidney look and the kidney does not look normal. Absolutely true. And it is a skill. It takes lots of practice with different sizes and shapes of patients to get there with ultrasound. Absolutely. But if we could shorten that learning curve and bring it faster to the veterinarian, then I think we bring it to more pets, right? And ultimately, that's what we want to do. I do think that ultrasound is something that a veterinary technician can also learn. If you model it after human medicine, you would rarely have a radiologist actually come in and do your ultrasound. You would instead have a technician perform your ultrasound and the radiologist would read it. They may come in and check a couple of key findings, but they're not performing the entire scan. So there is also a specialty for technicians in diagnostic imaging. So I think this is a potentially emerging field and an opportunity for technicians who are interested in pursuing specialty in diagnostic imaging and then focusing on ultrasound and working with a radiologist who can read those images. I think it's an awesome opportunity for technicians. That's an amazing point, and I hadn't even thought about that. But in that veterinary technician specialty in diagnostic imaging, is the expectation that they would be able to do ultrasound? Similar to a human ultrasound technician, is that a part of their testing and certification? So at this point, it's a pretty new specialty, and they're sort of um, similar to radiologists. Mm -hmm. They're they're trained in a lot of the areas. So my understanding is it is not specific to ultrasound at this point. But that once they're a specialist, then they work with a radiologist to really bring that skill up to a level where that's the basis of their practice. That's great news. I'm happy to hear about that. I think that there's probably somewhere between 18 and 20 veterinary technicians specialty areas now. And I I completely agree that that field is continuing to grow and improve. And the more we can help our technicians, our assistants become technicians and our technicians to continue to learn and grow for their entire profession. I think that's going to just help veterinary medicine altogether. Absolutely. I worked for veterinarians, you know, 30 years ago that really were hiring people to help them through things like restraint and that it really was something where they were bringing in this additional help but really weren't treating it as a profession. And To see in the last 20 years or so, all the technical training and skills available that we can bring in these professionals to work alongside us. And while, yes, we still need the folks that help provide restraint, we have people that can perform entire dentals on their own, that we have people that can perform so many of the tasks that we need, including something like radiography, where I don't need to stand in the room and watch them the whole time because they're professionals. They understand what they need to do. They understand what a good x-ray looks like. And we can have confidence in these folks to be the professionals that they are. One other question I wanted to ask you about artificial intelligence. How close are we with artificial intelligence to interpret things like CAT scans and MRIs? I am told that they are close. 
What I really think is interesting about the current state is the idea that now we've got a tool coming to veterinarians that is accurate, but that we need to step back maybe and think about a little bit. What are the ethics around this? How do we use this tool properly? Because I really think that's also going to shape how we treat this tool as it comes in with these other modalities, whether it's CT and MRI, which I think we're closer than say something like ultrasound, Mm -hmm. uh, but also what about dentistry or other types of imaging, potentially even endoscopy images. The way we think about these images and the analysis, I think it's important to think about it in the future, potentially in ways we haven't even considered. I do recall from a conversation that we had with Antec last year that in developing their product, they had a number of radiologists that were involved in interpreting the images as the machine was interpreting the images to try to help to improve their quality. Did you hear anything about that process? So specific to Antec, since you mentioned them, They include radiologists as their domain experts, Mm -hmm. so they are involved at every step along the way, and they're involved in maintenance and preventing the AI from drifting. But initially, when they bring radiologists into the process, the bulk of the radiologists are performing what we call hand labeling, which is going through and taking a known set of images and saying, these are the abnormalities that I see that the computer should be picking up on. I also know that Antec felt so strongly that this hand-labeled set of images needed to be done properly that they used only radiologists that had at least five years of clinical experience. Mm -hmm. Then there is a statistical method by which they can compare the AI's performance against the radiologists with five years of experience, and they can ensure that the AI is providing that level of service to the veterinarians. Well, Dennis, we're coming to the close of our time now, but before we finish up, can you tell me perhaps a few things that excite you about the future of veterinary medicine? I think veterinary medicine is an awesome field. I think we have students coming out from vet school into a really exciting time as a doctor, and I think they're going to have tools like AI that will help them deliver better care to pets throughout their career. I also think it's a super exciting time to be a technician in our field and see the growth of their professional duties and their professional licenses to provide care that is engaging and professionally satisfying for them. And I think it's an exciting time for veterinary practices because what I think we're seeing is a is a period where veterinary practices are even beginning to focus on areas of care that are super important to them. So we see the guys that are focusing on exotics. We see the guys that are focusing on providing things like ultrasound. We see the folks that are providing alternative care options like acupuncture and some of the non-traditional medicines. So I think at every level, our field continues to be exciting and rapidly growing. And I think uh, it's a great time to be in our field. I couldn't agree more. Dennis, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And I really appreciate your time today and, and sharing such wonderful information with our audience. Thank you, Marie.
Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing. Don't forget to leave a review to let us know your thoughts and share the episode with friends. Follow VCA Animal Hospitals on social media at LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more inspiring stories, visit our website at vcavoice.com.